Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. So my guest today is an industry veteran whose career has spanned everything from digital to broadcast, even to the ancient art of print. Like myself, he has been on the sales side of marketing and ad, of the marketing and ad business with stints at Fortune, Forbes, Plum TV, and Google, where he was evangelizing mobile advertising when it was in its infancy. He has spoken at South by Southwest, Advertising Week, Columbia, and NYU Stern and is now the CEO of Act3, where he consults on media sales and private equity, and is a member of the faculty at NYU School of Professional Studies. Welcome to the podcast, Tim Rice. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. I always like to start with this uh, question. Where are you from? Uh, originally, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, we were an old New York family, and then we briefly moved to California, where a couple of my siblings decided to stay and and then uh, moved back uh, where I, I did most of my growing up. Aha. Uh-huh. Where on Long Island, dare I ask? I grew up at the right at the edge of Queens, right before Long Island. We have something else uh, in common here. Yeah, exactly. The same turf, Garden City. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, right, right outside, outside Queens. Yeah. I know exactly where it is because being of the Greek Orthodox faith, that is where I went to church was in Garden City. So there you go. Another oh. little a little connection here before we even get started. So we met at a <laughs> faculty meeting recently um, where we were in a discussion about ChatGPT. And I that was definitely what spurred this whole conversation and your knowledge of it and how you were able to explain it. But I have another question first, because like myself, you've been in this business for a while and, and you've seen a change. It's hard to believe that when I started working at Time Warner Cable in 1997, local spot cable was something new. The internet had only mm. recently been privatized. <laughs> a lot mm. of people I know and worked with resisted the new platforms as they emerged, and they still do. I mean, I know more than one person who still thinks network TV is your best choice on an ad buy. Now, you were one mm. of those people like myself that moved on and embraced the new platforms. Can you talk about that, how that came to be? Uh, you know, I, I, I can't claim to be a, an early mover. I mean, I, I missed uh, web 1.0 completely. Um, so did I. <laughs> and maybe, yeah. And maybe that's great for both of us. You know, it, it, uh, uh, it, it wasn't what it had hoped to be. Um, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of lessons in there and I, and I'll admit, I didn't really, you know, see the future there. I, I, I still remember early in my career, uh, being at fortune magazine and the office manager, uh, bringing all the sales staff in to see the fax machine that had arrived, and and uh, she put a, a document in one side, and and it ran through the machine and fell in a little basket, and she said, and now it's in California, and and someone on the team, in all sincerity, said, no, it's right there. I can see it in the basket. <laughs> we were we were not you know, leading edge, but. Over time, you came to see the change in consumer behavior. And uh, um, uh, there are a couple of themes that have always resonated with me uh, that I used to speak a lot about when I was at Google, which uh, you know, one of them is friction. 
and the idea that that reducing friction is the winning formula for for uh, gaining consumer love. And when you think about media, you know what could be less friction than having access to all the information in the world uh, in your pocket at all times. So hence the internet you know took off and then mobile took off. But both of them took off in a pattern that's very predictable, which is it, it grew it grew exponentially, which by definition, and this is my other big theme, uh, new things tend to progress in an exponential fashion, which because humans view the world in a linear fashion, means that we are routinely unimpressed in the early stages. And right about the time where we say that's never going to happen, it starts to hit a knee and takes off. And then we're all just astonished at, at the quote unquote overnight success of this platform. Um, so, you know, that's what was happening for all those people in the early stages of the internet who were saying, oh, that's not a thing. People will always want to hold a magazine. And literally I had people say to me about mobile phones, they'd hold up the phone and say, nobody's going to watch a movie on a screen this small. Uh, and it all seemed to make sense when they said those things, but uh, it's it's that inability to perceive the value of frictionlessness to consumers mm -hmm. and the fact that these things don't progress in a linear fashion, but will suddenly seem to expand rapidly. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's so much resistance to change in general. I mean, I've been through that, not just on the technology side, but certainly I've I, I worked at companies. I worked at CBS when West, when, CBS Radio, when Westinghouse came in, which sounds like a hundred years ago. And there was resistance to the changes there. So I do think it's part of us to naturally resist. But I just have to go back for a second because when you were talking about the fax machine, I remember mm. when we got one, and I was uh, selling country music then in Philly. And the the paper was it wasn't flat paper. It was this. They, they come off like like rolls of toilet paper. And when the ratings would come in, I, it sounds weird. I sound like I'm 102 years old. But when the ratings would come in from Arbitron, we'd all stand over this fax machine and they would come out one at a time and then we'd have to flatten them out. It's just kind of hysterical how much further we come now. You know, now if I can't if I can't make notes on a on a PDF on my iPad, I'm I'm annoyed. So it's the world's changed an awful lot. And I have embraced well, like yourself. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you, you just pointed out one of the aspects of friction that I always think about, which is the irony is the more friction we erase uh, for consumers, the less friction consumers will tolerate. Yes. You know, my mother used to percolate coffee. It was a 10 minute process. I now push a button on a machine to get a perfect little espresso and it takes about 15 seconds and I'm drumming my fingers the whole time that it's, that it's happening. Like, why is this <laughs> taking so long? <laughs> that, that, that makes is, no sense, but that's our nature. It, it is our nature. And it, I'm laughing because I still have my father's, he loved his per coffee. And I still have this little percolated thing that used to sit on top of the gas stove. Um, I don't know why I'm not getting rid of it. I guess it's just some you know, emotional <laughs> thing I've got to it, but I, I wouldn't have the patience to do that either. And, and like yourself though, I've embraced almost everything that's come down the pike. However, when the metaverse, everyone started jumping on this, I'm like, okay, I, I think I've had enough. I don't want to live in a metaverse. Although I do see where as brands and, 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 and individuals that there's going to be a place for it. I just, 
the amount of money that's being dumped in there just was like, what are we doing here? And I think Mark Zuckerberg has certainly learned that. Um, and I'm kind of like that a little bit with ChatGPT until you know, we started to talk in the breakout room that I met you in. And I've started to listen to, I'm, I'm a big fan of Scott Galloway and he was recently talking about how he was resistant. And then someone suggested he use it for research and suddenly a light bulb went off. Can you talk a little bit, can you tell us, can you define it? Because I think we're throwing this word around a lot and your average person doesn't know what we're talking about, but everyone's talking about it all over the news. Um, people who are in the business have some idea what it is, but you know, no one knows what it is. So can you talk about that more in human terms? <laughs> sure. Yeah, There. well, there are. And again, thanks to Google for my education on this, because it, just like we were talking about exponential effects, this is not actually new. This, this has been in development for some time. Um, it, the first thing people should know is that uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning are not interchangeable terms. They're, they're related terms. Artificial intelligence is, by definition, computers doing human-like things. And, and maybe the best example of that is, is chat bots when, when uh, a company has determined that they really don't want to spend money on a human being telling you how to fix your, your percolator or whatever it is, <laughs> um, uh, that they'd rather you just talk to this thing that they can tell, look, if they ask this question, here's the answer. And, and that's basically how a chat bot works. And that's what artificial intelligence is. Machines doing human-like things. Machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence, which is specifically programming a computer not to do something, but to learn to do something. And because of that nuance, the end result is radically different. And in certain ways, radically uh, uh, more advanced or more uh, uh, well, more radical. <laughs> um, so when I say these things have been going on for years, um, this is what we were talking about when back in the 90s, uh, IBM's Deep Blue beat the oh, world's wow. greatest chess player. They taught it to learn to play chess. Um, years later, again, that exponential curve, it was, what, 20-ish years later that Google's program, in fact, it might have been more like 30 years later, Google's program AlphaGo beat the world's greatest Go player. Now, Go, in a sense, is a simpler game because you just put down pieces and the pieces are all identical. But there's so many more places you can put them that, and I'm, I'm only approximating here, if there are 25 potential openings in, in chess, there are 250 in, in Go. So in a sense, it's exponentially more complex. And it took all those years to, to develop a, a, a program that could be a champion. The way it did it was not that they taught it to play Go, but they taught it to learn to play Go and then had it play Go with uh, people like me who were terrible and then <laughs> people who were pretty good and, and on and on and on. At some point, and I don't know exactly at what point, but at some point in the process, it began playing strategies no one had ever seen before. And that was essentially how it beat the world's greatest champion, because it didn't behave like anything anyone had ever seen. And the reason it could was that no one taught it to play Go. 
if I had taught it to play Go, it would be limited by my ability to play Go. Whereas by teaching it to play or teaching it to learn to play, that is, it could go wherever it might go. Wow. And and so this is the nuance of machine learn. Um, uh, it, you know, not to go on too long about it, but no, that a that's a very example. good explanation. It's a very good explanation. Well, there's there's a good example of uh, uh, you know how it's, this is uh, being used, and importantly, how computers think differently. Um, right now, artificial intelligence can identify skin cancers as well as doctors. Doctors learn to identify skin cancer by looking at anywhere from 20 to 100 images. Computers learn to do it by looking at hundreds of thousands of images. But they get there. In a shorter period of time. Well, that's uh, that's one of the things that I'm talking about a lot these days, is, is what computers do is remarkable. How they do it is very, very disappointing. Um, how, <laughs> how they do it... <laughs> How they do it is brute force, but at extreme speed. They basically try everything else. And what works gets reinforced. And, and whereas if we learned that way, and thank God we don't, but if we learned that way, it would take us a lifetime to learn to do the simplest things. They can try options so much faster than we can uh, that, that they can come to conclusions quickly. But they don't come to them the same way we do. So ChatGPT is a form of machine learning then. Is that correct? Or is it is it, it or is it going deeper? Is it going into that next subset of deep learning? No, it it it, it was it, it it is the result of machine learning. Right? The output is is uh the ability to look things up, to respond in re real time, to gather data. The the nuance and really the battleground is not about access to the data so much as uh, the best idea of what to do with it. You know, how do you, how do you parse that data? And it's probably what was behind Google's uh, uh, stock dropping precipitously. I think it was 7.7%. Uh, the headline I saw said it cost Google's market cap $100 billion. Um, uh, and that's, you know, people's reaction to, to it not getting it right. Um, which I think is an overreaction because the nature of the thing is it'll get it wrong for a while yet. Um, but the, the you know the the essence of what it is is it has learned how to deal with people to to answer your questions not in a rote way but in a in a more flexible responsive way. Because it's considered a language model. Is that am I correct on that? Uh, that's my understanding. I mean, I'm not a computer engineer, right. but uh, right. um, uh, that is my understanding. So, so why do you think everyone's in such a frenzy over this? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, you brought up the metaverse before, and I, I'm with you. I, 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 at present, it feels more uh, like a solution in search of a problem than than really a, a game changer. Um, but that might emerge. You know, mm -hmm. Technologies often emerge ahead of, you know, it, the best applications for it. Right. Um, uh, Mary Meeker uh, said in in one talk I saw her give said that uh, the first use of all new technologies is asinine. 
Um, <laughs> she's a smart cookie. Yeah, that's for sure. I like that. I like her terminology on that. Well, and if you think about it, uh, I assume your experience of the first fax machines was the same as mine. The most traffic we received on the thing was jokes. Was That was <laughs> how <right. laughs> things went viral in the day. This is um, true. So, so, you know, maybe we're in that playground space right now and there'll be some extraordinary uh, use case for it. But when you think about what, what AI is offering, uh, this is a radical departure. One, we get back to this idea mm -hmm. of, of reducing friction, right? Um, typing into a, a box of random query is one thing, and it's certainly low friction to get answers back. Um, at, a la Google search, uh, you know, traditional Google search. But if you now have the ability to more or less interact with, with the code by mm -hmm. having a discussion, by refining what you're looking for, by getting something back and being able to say, oh, you know, I didn't say it should be blue or, or whatever, um, or expanding on what you've learned. It becomes more of a real-time conversational exchange uh, with an intelligence that can do that work at lightning speed. So, so some of the applications that I'm reading about are, I think people go to the place of, wow, this is going to replace all these functions that we do. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting part is not replacing, but enhancing things we do, mm. such as if you are a coder, you could ask a, a chat GPT like bot to check the code and it will be able to review your code and identify problems faster than you can. So you could still That's write the code, thing. but it will, or you might assign it a portion of your, your total program that you're writing and say, I'm, I'm working on this. You do this part. So in that sense, I think if we if we think about it as, uh, again, removing friction, improving our capabilities. I remember Eric Schmidt once once uh, talking about, uh, whereas the industry was talking about um, uh, altered, uh, uh, augmented reality, uh, he said, I, I, I'm thinking about augmented humanity. You know, how, forget changing what's out there, but making us better. Making us better. Yeah. Making us better. I guess that this, there's so much scariness in here that, that I think that, and this is the first time I've really felt like that about a lot of this new technology. And I'll get to that in a minute, but I did try to get on to, to, I figured, let me test this out. Maybe I can ask them what questions I should ask Tim about chat GPT and see what happens, but I can't get on it. Um, I went so far as to download the Microsoft Edge browser because I read someplace, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, Joanna Stern was saying that it's a better browser and you'll be able to use Bing through it. Microsoft is is investing, what is it, like $10 billion? I think it's $10 billion in open AI. So that brings me to this. So search on Google and again, I know you used to work there, but it's not what it used to be for me. I, I don't always find the answer I want. I, of course, once we get past the ads, which I know has, you know, put food on the table for both of us for many years, um, <laughs> it's not necessarily the best answer that's coming up. And most people don't realize it, that it is tends to be the one that's gotten the most engagement because everything's all about engagement. But even, even saying that that wasn't true, is this going to change the game? Because Google's been the name of the game for 
for search for years. So with Microsoft now putting so much of an investment into Bing as an alternative here, do you think that this is that this is going to be a game changer in terms of search dominance? It certainly has the potential. Uh, so if you think about it, it, it isn't it isn't changing the human desire to find search. out. That. Right. <laughs> yeah, to search, to to explore. Um, it, it is changing the interface, and, and you know, God bless Microsoft and everyone else who's and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, OpenAI and and all the companies that are running into this field because it's the first real opportunity they've had to mm-hmm. to change this game. Uh, Google has dominated for for quite a while, and that's a, that's a word I wasn't allowed to use when I worked there. Um, <laughs> but but you know the truth is, if if you want to market through search, you, you don't have a choice. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, you must use Google, and you might use others. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this could change things. It will really depend upon who comes up with the most effective, most inviting version of it. You know, bear in mind, Google didn't invent search. Uh, it it right. was what like the fifth or sixth major player, um, but it did it better. Uh, part of it was the genius of the super clean homepage design that had very little on it and a limit on the number of words that they would put on that screen just to keep it super you know, streamlined. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to keep quoting Eric Schmidt, but he used to say, we are always one click away from losing a customer. If we don't give her the right answer, mm-hmm. uh, the right the right result, uh, she's going to go somewhere else and, and mm-hmm. seek a, a, a better output. Um, and part of that genius was exactly what you described. The, the, uh, idea of page rank was for the first time employing that notion of the wisdom of crowds, that the right, the best answer is probably the one that most people are, are going to anyway. So let's, let's push that one up toward the top. And then over time, see which one continues to be the best. Um, maybe our our behaviors have changed over time, and maybe people have learned to game the system more. The, the whole art and science of SEO may may be you know, skewing results. I, I don't know. Um, the promise of AI is partly the better answer, and partly uh, just a, a, a more pliable interface. You know, one that that is more comfortable for us to use. What 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 do you see are the limitations? Well, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about the limitations. I mean, you know, I guess we saw the limitations in in Google's demo. You know, it, it yes, can get yes. things wrong, right? The um, the um the the Bard situation here. Uh, what, what was it? I think it was. I think I have it down here. The James Webb Space Telescope. There was an answer about it, and it was incorrect. And this was their big demo. So, of course, you know, in today's yeah. world. That's the that's the social media conversation of the moment. Yeah, but to be fair, you know, I, I had a friend uh, who used to sell uh, software, uh, CAD CAM software, and uh, in the early days of, of computing really taking off. Um, and not only did it not work half the time he demoed it, it, it actually crashed entire systems sometimes, and he still would make the sale because there was an understanding that this is mm-hmm. the beginning of something. So, uh, uh, I do think it was an overreaction of the market to say, you know, do we really think that mm-hmm. Google's not going to get better at this? I, I think that's that's silly. Um, 
I remember. I agree. In the I, early I agree with you 100. percent Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw demos uh, of mobile uh, in the early days. Uh, the very same thing, uh, where whether it was everyone in the room had their Wi-Fi on on their phones, so the Wi-Fi didn't work, or or for whatever reason the big demo didn't work. You have to cut somebody slack when you're on the front end of it. No, I I totally agree. But that's where all the conversation is, and then we get all caught up in that. Like for one of the there's a couple of places I want to I want to cite here. Universities, which we both happen to teach at, are very twisted about this. Um, you know, the fear is that students can cheat by merely typing in the question and getting a written essay suitable for submission on a grade. Which you know, I'm like really. People are still giving essays all the time because that's not how I teach. Um, I teach much more in presentation style. Um, what What do you think? Do you think, I mean, I, I don't, and I guess that goes to another question I have is about, is this is even engaging? Is it going to be robotic answers or is it going to be engaging? Because certainly in what we teach in marketing, I want, if I ask anyone to write anything, I want it to be engaging because I think that's something we need to practice as marketers. You know, that whole smart brevity idea that the, uh, the which I'm fascinated with this book that the uh, the founders of Axios came up with. And then it also goes to Buzz, you know, people like BuzzFeed saying, well, you know, we're going to start using this in our articles. So, okay, great. They're going to write a good article, but is this going to be robotic or is it going to be engaging enough that it sounds really human-like? I don't know. What do you think? Well, it it, 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 it will proceed along that exponential curve. You know, uh, it, it'll, it, it already in many ways, it passes the Turing test, right? We, you know, there are plenty of chat bots where you really don't know whether you're talking to a person or, or, uh, uh, you know, a computer in you in must be luckier care. than me you <laughs> must be luckier than me because i generally <laughs> i'm generally having arguments with these things and yelling like a crazy lady <laughs> <laughs> well that, uh, maybe that's how you can tell you know if they don't if they don't come back at you right mm -hmm, exactly <laughs> um so in terms of their sounding human um uh and engaging in that sense i i i think they'll just get better and better at that you know i i was as a musician, I was pleased that uh, that the music that I I listened to on ChatGPT was god awful, um, but it won't always be. And there are stories of of it generating Baroque style music that experts in Baroque music assumed was written by Bach. You know, the, so it, it 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 can do the math. Um, and I guess this gets back to that, you know we were talking about kind of the old days and advertising applications of these things. I, I have a friend who had worked with the gods of advertising, you know, Bill Bernbach and, and uh, Helmut Krohn, the guy who actually wrote the Volkswagen campaigns that are so legendary, think small and those. And, uh, and he said to me, as I described to him the fact that before we were all talking about chat GPT, Google can, if you ask it to, crawl your website, grab your logos, some images, some copy, and put together a variety of ads and put them out there in the marketplace, see which get clicked on and optimize mm -hmm. to the ones yeah. that get clicked on. So this theoretically obviates the need for a creative ad agency as long as you have assets on your website. And the, and the question I raise is how long before they don't need the assets? My friend's comment was, well, you'll always need a human to have the inspiration to come up with just do it or think small or whatever it is. 
And, and that was the moment I kind of alluded to it earlier that I realized the mistake everyone keeps making is thinking that computers need to think like people. And as I said, they, what they really do is just try everything really fast and figure out which is working. Um, maybe the best example of this was of, of computers doing human things. We talked about about playing games. Uh, we talked about about uh, skin cancer. My favorite one, though, was the researcher who put multiple computers, machine learning programs, into an auction competing with each other. And over time, all of them learned to avoid each other in the auction. <laughs> that if if I bid in different places than you bid, we both get a better deal. Now, as I've I've said to uh, audiences where I've presented this before, this is how how computers uh, arrived at a uniquely human thing, collusion, which is unethical. <laughs> but they but they weren't unethical because they don't have an ethos. They're computers, and they didn't actually talk to each other about it. They just got to the same place. So, so when you look for the inspiration of just do it, the computer will generate just do it, get on out there. If you don't exercise, you're going to have a heart attack and die. We'll have <laughs> thousands of variations because it will have been instructed to come up with a tagline that is short, that is inspiring, that is related somehow to athletics. And it'll put them all out there. Some will win, some will lose. Over time, it'll winnow it down to the winner, which may or may not be, just do it. So it won't ever be inspired, but it'll get to the same place. And, and that's a windy way of getting back to what you were saying. The, the capability, um, what we will see is it, these programs will just continue to get better and better and better at mimicking our behaviors, our our tone of voice, uh, what looks like inspiration, even though it won't actually be inspiration. It, it's what uh, uh, many years ago, the, the term was coined, the infinite monkey theorem, which uh, it typically gets quoted as a hundred or a thousand or more monkeys. But, it, but the theorem was actually, if you had an immortal monkey and a typewriter, uh, over time, it would eventually accidentally write Shakespeare. Just because it's hitting keys and the odds will eventually get into it. And, and that's sort of what. So I guess there's two things here. One is this is only going to give us what we want if we're putting in these queries. It's not necessarily going to think all by itself. So it's going to give us an answer or a response, or whatever it is we put in there, that's as good as what we asked. I'm correct in that. Now, so the second part of that, and this is the part that I guess is just, this is the scary part because... I, I will hearken this back to the early days of social media. And I literally called myself an evangelist at that point because I was all gung-ho on it. And like many people were, I wasn't alone. A lot of smart people smarter than myself were right there. And now we're at this place where we see all the dangers of it. And we're trying to backtrack because there was no, there were no guardrails. So I guess maybe that's the part of me that's so skeptical because I see that now. Okay. So say you are, um, you know, you can type this in and you're a musician and say, okay, you know, write me a song in the style of, I don't know, you know, uh, Bon Jovi, I'm just making this up. And this, it sounds like this can actually have the capability to do that, you know, but not nothing. I'm worried about Bon Jovi and how much money he's making over there. <laughs> but 
if you do run into things like what happens to your copyrights, are people pretending to be people that they're not, which we have so much of right now. And I guess that's one of the things, I don't know, I'm just curious what your thoughts. It's one of the things that makes me want to say, okay, you know, great. You put, you're putting $10 billion into this Microsoft. Great. But the rest of us, maybe we need to be looking at some guardrails around things like, you know, the ethical use of this stuff. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Uh Absolutely. Uh, the, another of the patterns that we we have seen before and fail to recognize when it's coming up is the technology advances and our ethical constructs follow. Technology puts in our face challenges that we didn't realize we had until we're mm -hmm. confronted with them. So we don't even think to ask the questions. If you remember, gosh, what was 30 years ago, they cloned a sheep. Dolly the sheep. And everyone went, booyah, we, we cloned a sheep. And about a second after it, we all said, geez, uh, what's, what's it okay to clone and what's mm -hmm. not okay to clone? What rights does the second sheep have? <laughs> does it have all the same rights as the first sheep, right? You know, what, what are the ethical considerations behind this? Same thing happened with social media. Not to be dark, but you know that was the story of the atom bomb. It was it, you know we learned to split an atom, mm -hmm. and the first thing we did with it was uh, massive destruction. And and so the question was immediately, okay, great, great science, but you know what do we do with this? And and uh, and we have to acknowledge that whatever good things we invent, there are uh, people in the world who are just as eager to exploit them for mm -hmm. bad ends. So, you know, asking ChatGPT to to break uh, password codes, you know, there are all sorts of things that. Oh, that, I didn't even think about uh, that. <laughs> I, it just crossed my mind. I mean, I, that, I, I didn't prepare that. That <laughs> just crossed my mind. Uh, so, yes, that's a very real concern. Um, and we don't know where, where it's going to lead or, or what those issues will be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to net out, but we need to be very cautious. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the, the um, I'm, I'm a student of history and, and so many of the things that that we wonder about each other, about, about humanity, have always been there. The difference is the stakes have gotten higher. You know, we, we humans have always been warlike, but it, it was only in the last uh, less than 100 years that we've had the capacity to destroy the entire planet. So whereas bad decisions uh, generations past may have uh, toppled governments or, or or caused invasions or things. Uh, now the stakes are that much higher. Um, and and ChatGPT <laughs> raises the stakes again. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we still can't even get a, any kind of unified privacy legislation through in this country. And now it's coming up in patchwork. Yeah, all over the place. You've got California has a set of rules and Virginia has a set of rules now, Colorado does. And there's actually an interactive map on Bloomberg where you can plug in, you can see which states have something, which states have stalled. And and yet there's a thread through it, but it's not it's not universal. I, you know, I also question who's on this legislation. Do they actually understand? <laughs> um, <laughs> do they actually yeah. understand what, what, what this is about? Because, you know, 
I know enough to to understand it, but I'm not the, I'm not an expert on it. I don't know all those little details that are going underneath it. But I think I know more than some of these Congress people. But could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, it's a little silly for us to pretend that this is a local issue. It it is at least a national scope mm-hmm. issue. But the truth is, it's a global issue. It's a global it? issue. Yeah, you're right. These, it's a global issue. The internet borders are 100% porous. So. We need to think in those terms. Uh, regarding privacy, my, my own uh, feelings are I, I am unaware of any marketer who has ill intent regarding mm-hmm. what they're doing with your data, which is what most people voice as their concern. Uh, you know, that red shirt has been following me around. I couldn't care less if the red shirt follows me around on the Internet. Uh, I can ignore it. What you should be concerned about is how secure that data is mm-hmm. with that marketer, because as I said a moment ago, there are people who have nothing but ill intent, and they are hacking these companies. And when that data gets out, then bad things do happen. So it would be great if some some global standards uh, could, could be uh, put in place regarding these things. Um, again, in my opinion, more about the security of data than, than the ability of marketers to uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to to follow it i actually just uh one of the the um uh a former senior executive at google just posted a a, a talk uh it was really wonderful and one of the things he quoted was uh he said if you conjugate uh personalize uh you conjugate that i personalize you track they violate fundamental human rights <laughs> that's great right that's I thought it was mm-hmm. I thought it was brilliant, but but it's that idea. It's like, oh no, I don't mean to do anything bad, but probably everyone else. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't think I agree with you. I don't think that marketers are the ones that Ill, have any ill intentions. My my concern is much more with the platforms themselves, and what they're doing to make sure that they're getting the money that they want from the marketers in terms of how they're manipulating algorithms. So I think that's the, that's another concern, which is really, we could go off on this for a long time, but I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let me ask you a couple more questions before I do my little, my little, uh, my little lightning round. So you've seen a lot of changes in platforms. You know, what do you think has changed the most? And and what do you think is still say, say the same in terms of the whole marketing and advertising business? Well, that's interesting. That I do think what stays the same is us. You know, human beings uh, seek the same things and always mm-hmm. have. They they want to be informed. They want to be entertained. Uh, they want to explore the world. They want, want to acquire things. These things stay the same, and and it is because they say stay the same that that uh, dynamics like friction become so important. Mm-hmm. That the opportunity to to leverage those desired behaviors to your benefit comes by making it easier for them to accomplish those four things they're trying to accomplish. So you had Sears uh, providing mail order catalogs to people in remote locations who couldn't get to stores, reduced friction for them. Mm -hmm. That was a great thing. Um, Years later, when cars were ubiquitous, Sears became a brick and mortar company. (laughs) Now we have locations because your new low friction is getting in your own car rather than waiting for me to mail it to you. Amazon is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. As Amazon goes from we'll mail it to you to, uh, again, the same speaker just referred to 250 new uh, 
uh, uh, grocery stores opening in in England. Um, so you you see this moving back and forth across platforms as you're responding to those dynamics. I think what's you know I'm constantly on this thing of what's old is new again. You know it's mm-hmm. um, even like you know we'll talk about. TikTok and live stream shopping. And I'm like, well, yes, that's just terrific. But, you know, anyone ever hear of the Home Shopping Network? This is just a new platform to essentially do what was there. There's, you know, this time you can only get this for so long and and that type of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of that. But I do think that I also think personally, I think the pandemic has reminded us of how important that in-person feeling is of, you know being around other people and actually going into a physical store which I'm still convinced at least for myself I spend more money if I'm going into a physical store than when I shop online there is something about something about I go in for one thing and I come out with three things and it doesn't necessarily happen to me online where it's just where it's much more directed the one thing I'm, I I might add is uh that there has been a power shift that all of this removal of friction for the consumer has mm-hmm. put the consumer in a much more powerful place. Absolutely. You know, uh, I'd like to tell my classes, you know, in, in the 1950s, the most watched television show was I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. It had a, a rating of nearly 80. So you could get 80% of the country by That's putting crazy, an ad yeah. on that show. And you can track the decline in the ability to aggregate an audience instantly by the 60s um uh, what was it bonanza could get half the audience that that uh, i love lucy got and when you get all the way down to the current decade you're talking about a 7 is yeah. is the highest rated regular program oh right? you, you, not, if not if, a, if a show has like a 1.0 people are excited i mean the best that we're going to yeah. do is the super bowl and it's right. and I, I don't even know what the ratings will be like on that because there seems like this alternatives now you can stream the game someplace, which um, you know I think anyone well, that's who's really point. a sports fan would be like, well, it's buffering now. I'm streaming and this is buffering. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the point is they now have more and more and have been getting more and mm-hmm. more and more options, mm-hmm. and so with every new option they get more power. Exactly. Exactly. And from the advertising standpoint, I always tell my students, advertising dollars don't grow that much every year, but the choices, <laughs> the choices of where those budgets are going to go continue to increase. And it just makes the job more challenging. So, so anyway, I, I could, again, I could talk to you all day and we could have like a two hour podcast here, but I am going to wrap up with a lightning round of questions. So favorite social network. LinkedIn, I guess. <laughs> I don't, uh, I, I, I visit Facebook, uh, like maybe once a month and regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Something people would never guess about you. Gosh, I have uh, two black belts and, uh, one in Aikido and one in karate. Whoa. Okay. I would not have guessed that. Um, <laughs> the last series you binged. Oh, I am currently binging, uh, mayor of Kingstown. <sighs> Hugely violent. And one of four things that Taylor Sheridan has going on, on on television right now. He's apparently the new media god. He is. Yeah, he's I, I can't think of the person's name who did. Um, I can't even think of it right now, but it'll come to me in a minute. He has a daughter that's in there. I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Anyway, the food, a food you can't live with, live without. Pasta. What you miss most about pre-COVID life? 
You know, I, I will admit that uh, through the, the real lockdown section, I'm a fairly comfortable person not seeing other people. In fact, when COVID came out, I thought, wow, this is a really good reason for everyone to leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it made me realize how much we as human beings crave uh, in-person interaction. I mean, I was mm-hmm. on Zoom all the time, but there's something about being in the presence of other people that is really uh, reassuring for us. There's an energy so that's, there. That's probably it. There's an yeah. energy there. Something came up the other day about um, the Grammys in my, one of my classes. And, well, you know, can you imagine if you can watch it in the metaverse? And I said, no. I said, yes. I mean, I suppose if I couldn't get there, but given the opportunity to be in the room and feel that kind of energy, and as a musician, you know, what live music is just there's something palatable about it when you're in the room where you can still get it through technology but there's a little bit of a difference and my last question for you sir is what motivates you to get up in the morning my dog (laughs) (laughs) he he, uh puts his nose in my face every morning i i just uh honestly joined this this sort of thing i love i love exploring ideas and trying to tease them out and figure out it it's why i write music it's why you know uh it's why i read history is is trying to understand things um Mm -hmm. and and coming to conclusions and bouncing them off other people staying curious yeah 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 i think it's um i I think think i i think the older i get the more i realize that that is the uh, secret to longevity is staying curious thank you so much thanks joy thanks so much for listening to marketing mindfulness and martinis if you liked what you heard please share with your friends give us a rating on itunes or spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>